0: Hello and welcome to Centre for Mental Health podcast. Here at the Centre, we're dedicated to eradicating mental health inequalities by changing policy and practice. I'm Thea Joshi and I recently caught up with Marsha McAdam who is a mental health influencer and ambassador. She's also been given a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. I loved chatting with Marsha about how she's used her own experience of mental health difficulties to create meaningful change in services. We also talked about what's helped her to stay well throughout the pandemic and how we as people working in mental health, but also living with mental health difficulties can bring our whole selves to work. So I'm delighted to be here today with our very own Marsha McAdam. Marsha has been an ambassador for Centre for Mental Health for a few years now, and um, we are so grateful to you for your wisdom and your experience. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Marsha. Uh,
1: so, Um, I have a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, otherwise known as emotional unstable personality disorder. Um, I have chronic fatigue, type two diabetes, and fibromyalgia to name a few. Um, (sighs) um, But I'm also um, a physical and mental health campaigner. And over the last few years, been given various opportunities and various platforms and I've started to learn to have pride in what I do Um, and at times it does feel surreal like I'm living in a fairy tale and as I always say it's because of staff or people like yourselves from the Centre for Mental Health that encourage and support me to be me.
0: Oh well Marsha you are such uh, an asset and encouragement to our team we love having you as part of our sort of Centre for Mental Health Family which is cheesy but um yeah we really value you and yeah Marsha's been amazing um across lots of different platforms um in talking about her own experience and also in um shaping policy and shaping services um I know in Greater Manchester but it sounds like uh, nationally and um so yeah you're an amazing asset to our team and I just wondered if you wanted to tell us a little bit more about um, your experience of this diagnosis of um, borderline personality disorder? Uh, So this is about my my
1: personal experience. I know that the label um, can um, often be contentious but for me it being given that diagnosis meant that I was then able to go on to have um, the life-changing and life-saving therapy called mentalization-based therapy. It it basically gave me the tools to pause all the persistent distress that I was always feeling um, and to stop disassociating and um, learn to be in the here and the now um, and to actually be able to build relationships, um, secure relationships, but I also know that as a mental health campaigner that the label can often um, cause great harm to those um, on the receiving end of it um, and often services be withheld or anything like that. And so as a campaigner, Um, When I tell my story, I often want to tell it so that people can have hope with the right care, um, that you can often go on to live um, a meaningful life and make friends and and build meaningful relationships, um, feeling secure and not worried that someone, the fear of abandonment, because that's something that is really, really tough. Um, You know, learning to trust someone and they're not gonna disappear. Um, And the sense of self-worth and sense of identity. And um, I used to self-harm with um, medication. Um, Having gone through the therapy, I don't do that anymore. Um, But I do at times um, use food as a control. Um, for me, because sometimes, even though I've gone through the therapy, I do find times distressing, but nowhere near as much as what I used to.
0: That is amazing, Marsha, and it's so encouraging to hear about that mentalization-based therapy. And as you you said, you mentioned the hope that it gave you, and I think for everyone living with a mental health problem, but maybe especially for people with a diagnosis. A borderline personality disorder that hope seems so critical and so vital doesn't it because I think often the narrative around it is so sort of bleak and there's this problem with you and you know that can um, must feel really hopeless at times and so I think that message of hope that you're trying to share with other people that you know things can get better that relationships meaningful relationships can be formed is is so important I mean what role has hope played in your recovery journey so a few years ago um after
1: receiving mentalization based therapy um i then went on to become a service representative and it was someone from the crisis team who took me along um in the past she supported me and um, and then she took me to um the service user manager at the trust um, and from there I've gone on to do things that I never thought would be possible. And in December, just gone, that manager actually invited me to be on an interview panel for staff for um, the crisis line um, with her. And it felt so amazing. Um, I speak at various conferences and that. And, um, I feel equal, and that sounds really stupid to say.
0: Not at all. It doesn't sound stupid, it sounds vital.
1: But when for so long you've had no hope and um, self-worth in that. So for me, the, the last few years, I personally feel, and I've seen it um, as well, that the voices of lived experience is... Um, is now being heard more than ever. There's, there's so many um, people that are championing it. And um, so a few years ago, um, I approached a chief exec on Twitter and asked where his service user involvement was. And I was um, invited in to meet with him. And then from there, I went on to become the Greater Manchester um, Borderline Personality Disorder Strategy co-chair and so I feel that especially around the label at the minute um, there's so many people that work into actually really do something and they really care and they're really passionate and that they know just how things have been people have been let down in the past and that's really good but at the same time sometimes I think Go and get behind them and push them along. <laughs> Hurry up. <laughs> um, I joke about chasing people around with my scooter. But it's, it's never fast enough. But we need to be hopeful. And um, with some of the funding that NHS England's put in the long term plan, um, and the complex emotional needs provider collaborative projects, I'm hopeful, but like I say, it's just a little bit. um...
0: Yeah, definitely. That kind of, we find that so much in our work that, you know, the pace of change can feel really glacial. I think Andy said that on our last podcast and you can just think, oh my gosh, are we ever going to get there? Are we ever going to get anywhere near equality and mental health? Are we ever going to get anywhere near people getting the services they deserve? But as you say, we have to have hope because we are seeing change happen even if it's not at the pace we would like. And it is hugely to do with the voices of lived experience like yours, Marsha, being actually um, listened to and being enabled to shape services and the direction of travel. And it was really incredible to hear about uh, the way that you've been able to work as part of boards and really shaping the work of trusts and their service user involvement. And I know service user involvement is stuff that's talked about a lot more, isn't it, in the NHS and in services now. Um, but it can feel tokenistic it can feel like you know a tick box exercise and um, there's something about really needing to convince people that service user involvement is not just a tick box exercise it's something that will make a meaningful impact and a meaningful improvement to services Um, I mean hopefully we're preaching to the converted here but if you had to convince someone as to why service user involvement is so important what would you say It gives someone a sense of
1: purpose and I always say that if it wasn't for the things that I do I'd still be a recluse and during Covid um, technology and being involved in various webinars and that has actually kept me well Um, and I think that some conversations may not go as people that usually sit around the table um, may be used to but I think that the real conversations need to be had and um, everyone sort of leave their egos or that at the door Um, and that that's where the real work can then be done. One of the proudest things I've ever been part of is an ambassador for the Center for Mental Health. I've been given the opportunity to partner up with Sarah Hughes, um, your chief exec, um, and um, Professor Peter Fonagy from the Anna Freud Center. Um, and um, I always say I'm biased because he is the co-creator of mentalization-based therapy. Um, but in the last few years, it's their encouragement. um, And it's meant that I've gone on to have confidence to do some of the things um, that I've been doing. The fact that they give their time, um, and that has helped me so much grow as a person, both in the voluntary work that I do, but then also as a person but then there's the other thing of um last week or the week before i got really poorly um and had to go sort of and get some mental health support um and as a mental health campaigner i was quite ashamed of that which is daft
0: isn't it like champion
1: for everyone else to get support
0: (laughs) yeah that's so interesting and um firstly I just wanted to say on the point about you were saying oh it's been so great for me to be involved in um this work and it's given me purpose I just wanted to say that it's the value that you are giving to us as organizations is what we should really be talking about and it's amazing if these kind of platforms or these kind of opportunities um encourage you and build your confidence and we love that but let's also be clear that um your involvement as someone with lived experience gives us so much value so much insight um and we are so grateful to you so it's very much that way around for us so thank you um but it's really interesting as well what you said about kind of feeling almost ashamed of you know seeking support it's interesting isn't it even as mental health campaigners as people working in this field we can still kind of almost assume that we sort of won't need help and maybe there's I don't know if there's sometimes self-stigma there um, about who we think we are and we're strong and so we don't need kind of support from other people it's it's really interesting isn't it but it is really challenging because you never want to be back in that place do you when you've been there you'd rather for myself I know I'd rather be talking about it and advocating for better mental health support than I would be the one having to receive it because it's just rubbish.
1: One of the things with a lot of the policy stuff that I'm involved in, um, experts by occupation um, do approach me and sort of tell me a little bit about their own journeys. Um, And um, as a mental health campaigner who struggles to, you know, like you said, self-stigma, I can't even begin to imagine what it is like for someone who is a mental health um, professional and you know how like is it like par- it's not parity of esteem where where people are encouraged in workplaces to talk about their mental Ill health and everything like that at times I don't think we're, we're near there yet um, one of the things about borderline personality disorder um, what keeps me well is um, having boundaries and routine and that and one of the things that i was worried about is at the beginning of covid everything almost closed didn't it um and so imagine those people that would have had their nine-to-five job that would have gone out to work that you know that was their identity um and then all that stopped and um that that was something, you know. That I know it sounds a bit way out there, but um, it it was something that sort of worried me. Um, how do we make sure that we have that self
0: worth? Mm. Um, I just think that's such an important point, isn't it? And I think you're right that while there is kind of work going on to encourage people to bring their whole selves to work, I think that's something that mental health. Uh, first aid England have definitely been doing to try and encourage us like bringing our whole selves rather than hiding away um, things that we feel stigma about or feel embarrassed about. Um, but yeah it kind of becomes a whole new level doesn't it when we're talking about people who are working in the healthcare system even in the mental health care system um, who have their own lived experience and so it kind of brings a whole new meaning doesn't it to the value of lived experience. from people who've been through the system but also more widely in terms of staff um, being able to bring their own lived experience into their work and I think that's something that we I mean I'd like to say I hope that it's becoming more of a reality but I imagine there's a long way to go.
1: I think there's a lot a long way to go I mean um, which hat would you wear so luckily I've you know. I can sort of say, okay, Marsha, I've got BPD in that, and sometimes things are difficult, but it's like when you go into a meeting, do you go as centre for mental health, or that, or do you go as, you know, mm.
0: yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, because, and that's something I do, I, I totally empathise with you about, because it's sometimes difficult when you're in a meeting with your I with my center for mental health hat on if people start talking about various different things immediately my own lived experience comes to the fore and you think well hold on I don't agree with this as someone but actually I would always you know and despite self-sigma and despite the kind of barriers that we've put up between our professional and our personal lives I would always say that bringing that lived experience with you into the room is actually hugely hugely valuable and that's what we're talking about in terms of roles you do isn't it is that you don't suddenly become Marsha who has a professional hat on you bring your whole self and that's where we get this amazing value of really having lived experience as a core sort of baked in throughout everything that we are doing rather than it being some weird tick box tokenistic thing like oh have we consulted someone with lived experience
1: I think the center for mental health um the ethos and that maybe it makes yourself and others feel secure and comfortable to know that and and that would be amazing if that could help in elsewhere wouldn't it
0: yeah 100% and i think also i mean without going off on a tangent that's something that can be really difficult in workplaces generally because we have our you know whether it's mental health or completely a different sector we have our sort of professional selves and we have these values that we think we need to promote like competency and capability and strength and all of these things. And sometimes that doesn't lend itself to actually sharing or expressing vulnerability or doubt or anxiety, because we don't see those as kind of leadership qualities. And actually I think there's, without harping on about it, there's something really valuable about saying, let's bring our whole selves with our strengths and our weaknesses and our fears and our doubts, um, because actually, those things will shape us as individuals and help us to work with greater empathy and greater insight. So last week you did um, the Centre for Mental Health did your
1: um, most recent forecast for the mental well-being or the mental health um, for the next few years and it was really stark about 10,000 people sorry 10 million people Um, and yeah my worry is I have had boundaries I've had routine and everything and then I'm going back into the workplace after all this trauma that's been uh COVID and then sorry I'm just saying me but you know just using that as an example I'm then going back into a workplace and
0: just supposed to be getting on with things you're right that maybe for some people it might be going back into the workplace that they find really difficult and that's where they see kind of mental health difficulties emerging um but yeah our, our figures are that t- up to 10 million people are likely to need mental health support as a result of the pandemic and as um my colleague Nick O'Shea mentioned you know this isn't that's not even the figure of people who actually will um experience some kind of mental health difficulty this is just the people who will actually seek support so it's actually a larger number arguably um and there's lots more about that on our website and I'll stick it in the show notes um but it also made me think you know we did some work last year with the city mental health alliance on how businesses how workplaces can support their colleagues who might have experienced trauma as a result of the pandemic as they come back into work so I'll also link to that but yeah we're gonna definitely need a lot of empathy with each other and a lot of understanding and self-care and kindness and all of that kind of stuff I think to to do it well (laughs) I think it's only the
1: tip of the iceberg, really. Um, Those children that were at home during COVID and they've experienced things, probably mum and dad really stressed out and everything else. And the usual sort of coping skills or that, um, going out with their friends or something. not been able to do that and I think that a lot of thing with me um having BPD initially you know the traits and that were from things linked back into my childhood um and um you know we, we talk about early prevention and stuff like that but um My main concern, and and it really terrifies me, is that we're saying all this stuff, but when are they actually going to do it? Um, I mean, how much more evidence do they need? Um, And since the first month of COVID, um, people have been saying these things. And um, as someone, who does suffer with distress in that and I overthink things um and at the beginning of COVID I wrote a blog and I was sort of talking about how I used to sort of think you know like on those crappy Saturday night movies and it's sort of um the end of the world and the you know um and then I used to sort of think right I would get like um a camping stove, and you know, you know, all those rubbish zombie movies and everything. And it was always sort of catastrophizing. But now, COVID has taught me that those some of those feelings or those anxieties were very real. But I was able to talk about that, and that's what helped me um, by writing blogs and being part of podcasts and that. and. Um so while not everyone has those opportunities and that because they may not be confident or that, I would encourage them to use their voice and that their voices matter. And I guess May is um, International Borderline Personality Disorder Awareness Month, and this is one of the reasons why we're doing um, this conversation and I guess on some of the things we may have gone off on a little bit of a tangent,
0: but that's sometimes what my head is like. (laughs) So, yeah, so May is Borderline Personality Disorder Awareness Month, and we've got lots of resources on our website about that. And I just to put you on the spot here, I just wonder, you know, to any kind of healthcare professionals listening, perhaps people who are working with people with that diagnosis, What's the one thing they could do to really help and to make a difference to people living with this diagnosis?
1: So if someone is in distress and maybe acting out, um, don't be judgmental. Think about why they're feeling the way or why they're acting the way that they are. Um, when I look into someone's eyes, um I can really sort of see, and that sounds really, really daft, but I always see kindness is like in mental health professionals and that body language does really matter. And I know that sounds, ugh, but um, as someone who has gone into situations and been so anxiety, been so anxious that, automatically I pick up on bad body language I know of all the sort of danger signs or that um, around me um, so if someone shows you kindness
0: and you're not used to that that really matters does that 100% that totally makes sense and it's strange because it's such a simple thing to say and yet so many people don't experience that And it's one of the things that will make the biggest difference to people's experience um, in a time of really great distress. And so, yeah, 100 percent. Marsha, I could go on talking with you all day because I just I love our conversations. Thank you so much. But yeah, it's just been a joy. And thank you for sharing your own experience of um, what is a really challenging situation. As I mentioned, we've got lots of resources about borderline personality disorder. Uh, on our website i'll link to that in our show notes and um, Marsha, just thank you for everything you do for us at center for mental health and we're so grateful for you thank you really hope you enjoyed the episode and do let us know what you think by getting in touch via our website or tweeting us at center for mh and to join us in the fight for equality and mental health please do donate at www centreformentalhealth.org.uk slash donate. See you next time.